You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. It's a good week. It's Easter week. I already told you that's a big week for a pastor. That is the Super Bowl for pastors, right? We, we get uh, really excited about it, and we get a fastball sermon, right? Uh, because on, on Easter, it, it's, it's resurrection of Jesus, right? If you only come to church on Easter, you only ever hear one sermon, I hope, which is Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe you go to another church and they throw something else at you. Someone asked if I was going to be in Second Chronicles today. I said, no. I will not be in 2 Chronicles today, right? We're going to be in the book of Luke. Today, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Luke chapter 24. That's near the end of Luke. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. We've been in John recently, so you need to flip backwards to find the Gospel of Luke. And uh, what we're going to find out about Easter today is through Easter, we get to know Jesus Fully, Easter is the defining moment in the Christian calendar and it defines who Jesus is and how we relate to him. And I want to ask you a question today of whether or not you really know Jesus Christ or do you just know about Jesus Christ. This week is a good week. This is the opening week for Major League Baseball. I'm a baseball fan. I'm a Houston Astros fan. I have trash cans all over my house to celebrate what the Houston Astros were able to accomplish a few years ago, uh, in spite of all you Ranger fans who, who are still wanting to grasp that gold ring. Right, right. It's okay, guys. Uh, as an Astros fan, it feels good on top of that mountain. The Astros are 3-0, 159 games to a perfect season. We are on a roll. Um, and, I, and I love baseball. But I used to be a Rangers fan. I I don't always share this. When I was a child, I grew up in in Dallas area, went to games at the old Texas Rangers Stadium with the metal bleachers in the outfield that were 150 degrees in the summer. And my grandma would sneak in a purse full of everything that we would need to eat and drink. And, And I loved Baseball. I've always been a baseball fan. I watched games on HSE back in the day, uh, and it was a wonderful experience as a Rangers fan. They weren't particularly great. They were always like almost going to win the pennant, maybe win the pennant one year, really fighting for the pennant. It was before the playoffs got expanded into wild cards, and everyone gets in, and everyone gets a trophy like it is today. I mean, it was hard back then, but there's something about a child whose imagination gets captivated by sports. And so whenever I was about six years old, I fell in love with the Texas Rangers and one specific player, the right fielder, Ruben Sierra. Ruben Sierra is my baseball hero, right? And some of you are like, I don't remember Ruben Sierra. I'll forgive you for your lack of remembering of the greatest player on the, on the Texas Rangers in 1988 and 89, okay? But Ruben Sierra was that Man, Ruben Sierra, uh, I know everything that you would want to know about Ruben Sierra. I love Ruben Sierra so much that years later when my baseball allegiances shifted to the Astros after I moved to Houston and my wife's parents had season tickets and I just got fully sucked in there, okay? Um, What happened to that, by the way, guys? That was a good deal. Um, But, (laughs) right, my in-laws are here today. But, you uh, you know, I saw a ton of Astros games. But even as an adult whose allegiances had shifted, Ruben Sierra holds a special place in my heart. Whenever we were having our first child, Seth, uh, I tried desperately to get him named Ruben. I mean, I tried desperately to name him Ruben. And my wife 
even considered it seriously. For a couple weeks, when Seth was still in the womb, she was walking around and people were asking her what we were going to name him. And she's like, I don't know, we're thinking about Reuben. And then one of you fools out there in Sugarland said, like the sandwich, and it was done. And it was done. My dream of naming my son Reuben died with a sandwich with sauerkraut or something on it, okay? What a terrible, terrible day that was for me. But I took another shot when I had my first daughter, uh, Sierra, who was named after Reuben Sierra, right? That is the naming. I wanted my first two children to be named Reuben and Sierra so I could baseball call them to the dinner table and be like, Reuben Sierra, come to dinner, right? I was excited about the opportunity. I know all about Reuben Sierra. I know that his career was ruined when he joined the Oakland Athletics with Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and got involved in what they were doing to get big and yoked. And all of a sudden, this fairly lean, powerful hitter turned into a muscle-bound guy who couldn't stretch anymore because he got so big due to a workout regimen in Oakland, okay? And then he bounced around a little bit and ended up coming back to Texas to finish his career. I know that he had a son who was like a 4A player. That's a tweener between 3A and Major League Baseball. I know that after he finished playing baseball, he began a career in Tejano music, right? I know Ruben Sierra. I would wager to say there's not another person in this room or in Rockdale, Texas, who knows or cares as much about Ruben Sierra as I do, right? I just, it was, there's something about that. As a child, your imagination gets captured by someone, and I know him. But you know, I don't really know Ruben Sierra. I've never had him at my dinner table. I've never had him gathered around a meal with me. I know about him. I don't really know him. And for a lot of us, your knowledge of Jesus Christ is my knowledge of Reuben Sierra. You might know everything about him. You might have named a child after him. You might, you might claim his name as you walk around. But really, really, you're just a fan of Jesus Christ. You're not a friend of Jesus Christ. You don't know Jesus. You know about Jesus. And that is what we're going to see today in Luke chapter 24. There's a couple of disciples of Jesus. Jesus has died and been risen from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. And we find on the road to Emmaus, these two men walking. Verse 13 today is where we're going to begin. And it says this. It says, that very day of the resurrection, the very first Easter, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near to them and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This is kind of an interesting experience. They've just experienced the resurrection of some sort. Empty tomb, angels, testimonies of what the angels have said. And they're leaving Jerusalem. They're going to Emmaus. And they're talking about what, like, what, what do we think about this? How do we deal with this? The tomb is empty, um, but like he was dead. What do, they didn't know what to do. We have 2,000 years of history to be like, oh, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, that makes sense. But like back then, people don't come back from the dead after three days. Right? That doesn't happen. That's not, the way it, that's not the way life ends with this second life that just jumps out of the grave like Jesus did. So they're on the way to Emmaus talking about what happened, and Jesus just strolls up next to them. And, and for some reason, they were kept from recognizing him. 
Now, we don't know why that is. We don't know exactly what happened, but they were kept from recognizing him. And I think this is interesting because, you know, a lot of us, we, we, we know about Jesus, but even when he, when he comes near to us, we don't really recognize him for who he is. Right? We, we, we see him, we can talk to him, we can walk alongside of him, but we don't acknowledge him for who he is. These people were hidden from that. They didn't understand it. They just walked on their way, not seeing Jesus for who he truly was. In verse 17, he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him. He said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, Jesus responds, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word uh, uh, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. Um, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women have said, but they did not see Jesus. So, so they give the story to Jesus. It's kind of funny, right? Jesus walking around. Like, so what's the news, guys? And they're like, dude, you don't know, you don't know what happened? About what? Jesus. Jesus who? And they go and they share the whole Easter story. They, they tell you everything that happened. Empty tomb, uh, the, the crucifixion, the betrayal. They give the whole story to this man that they don't recognize. That is the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And the women went and the tomb was empty. And, and, and the men went and they saw it was just like they said. And there were angels telling them that he's, 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 he's alive. And we don't know what to do with this. They know all about him. They know all the facts. They can lay out the timeline of what happened in his life. They are experts in the details, but they don't know the risen Savior. He's standing there with them, and they don't see him. Do you understand this? He's right there with them, but they can't see him. Instead, they give all the details about him, about this concept of him, about what he might have been, about how he did, what they hoped he would have been, but what he must not have been. They, were, they didn't know him really. You know, I grew up in church. My whole life I grew up in church, uh, and my parents were good about that. They brought me to church whenever I was a baby, and they kept me in church all the way till I was no longer under their authority, and then God kept me in church from then until today. They were great about that. Today's my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, Mama. Um, but, 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 but they were great about keeping me in the church about making me a part of the church. And whenever I was a young child, you know, I knew all about Jesus. I loved the stories of Jesus. Uh, there was a, a number I could call in McKinney, Texas, where I grew up as a young child, and I could dial this number, and I don't know how it worked. It may have just been an answering machine, but I would call this number, and then I, there would be a recording of a Bible story that would change every day. And I would dial this number and I would hold the phone with the cord that's still connected because it was the 80s. And I was talking uh, or listening to a Bible story recorded by someone. I loved the stories of the Bible. 
I read the Bible even as a young child. I was so proud of myself. The first book in the Bible I read was the book of Jonah. I remember in McKinney at like seven years old being so proud of myself for reading the book of Jonah and going to my mother and telling her, hey, I read a whole book in the Bible. And she's like, way to go, son. There's like 65 more. No, she didn't discourage me like that, but it's true, right? I, was, I loved the things about church, right? I, I did. Now, I went through and I stood in a baptistry at First Baptist McKinney. I got baptized around seven years old. But let me tell you something about my life. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. I could tell you all the stories. I could give you all the facts. I could give you the truthful facts, like that he was the Savior of the world, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead. But God had not revealed that to me in a way that changed my life until I was 15 years old. And so for about eight years of my life, I lived as a baptized Baptist who had no real relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a scary thought for me as a pastor today. There were people, and my pastor McKinney did nothing wrong. He sat down with me. He he made sure that I understood, but I knew all the facts. Right? I, I passed the examination to make sure that I understood what the gospel was. I could tell him the gospel in a clear and concise way, but it, it wasn't true to me until I was 15 years old. Right? There was something about it that was hidden from me. I don't understand it. I can't really explain it other than, than it was like this Emmaus Road experience. I didn't see it. I knew it. I had experienced I, I, I was a fan of it. I read the Bible. I told people about Jesus. I brought people to church. Right? I, was, I was engaged in this thing on Sundays and Wednesdays and whenever the doors were open, but it didn't change my life till later. Because it's, it's possible, friends, it's possible to know about Jesus Christ, but not to know Him. It's possible to know all about Jesus and not really know Him. And so I want you to know today that knowing about Jesus is not the same. These people, these two men knew about Jesus, but they didn't know Him. He was there with them. And they couldn't even see him for who he was. So continuing on in verse 25, they said to him, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going to be going further. I like that, by the way. Jesus like, I got to get on over there. He's acting like he has to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And at that moment, when the bread was broken and the Last Supper was reinitiated in front of them, at that moment, they, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. Way to go, Jesus. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand that part either. Right? But what did Jesus do? These people know him, they know all the facts about him, but they didn't actually understand the resurrection. And how could they? You don't have a box for, for man comes back from dead. In your, in your, you, you think you do, but you don't. Right? You don't have that in your mind. And so these people are struggling with the resurrection, trying to figure it out, and then Jesus 
opens their eyes after explaining the scriptures to them, and he says, this is who I am. And in that moment, their eyes were open to who he truly is. There is a moment of epiphany in the life of the believer when we become aware of who Jesus really is. That was 15 years old for me. Sitting third pew in, right, near, near the aisle with my then girlfriend, sorry, um, right, and, and God just broke my heart. It, it, was, it, it was surreal. I'm not a hyper-emotional person. I don't believe that religion is, is emotionalism. I don't connect those two things naturally in my life. But in that moment, the scales fell from my eyes and I could see clearly who God was through Jesus Christ, and who I was without Jesus Christ. And in that moment, I, I moved from a, a doubt of some sort that I didn't even know I had to real, eternal life belief. It, it's crazy. I don't even know how to explain it to you other than to say there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus Christ. And when you know Jesus Christ, that is a work of God to let you know him. It is a gift of God that you get to know him, that the scales fall off your eyes and you can realize who he is. And the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit is drawing people today to pull the scales off your eyes to show you who Jesus is. Today, Jesus wants you to see him fully and completely. Not to know about him, not to know stories about him, not to name your kids after him, not to redirect parts of your life after him or your finances after him, but to know him today. That is what Jesus is trying to do today, to be known by us, to open the eyes of us so we can see him for who he truly is. He vanishes from their sight, and then they have to deal with what they've just both come to the realization with at the same time and they said to each other in verse 32 did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road and he opened uh, to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and they returned back to Jerusalem take that seven mile walk again and they found the eleven disciples and those who were with them gathered together and they said the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared uh, to Simon then uh, they told uh, what that happened to them on the road uh, and how he was known to them and the breaking of the bread. So they walk in and they're like, hey, Jesus appeared to Simon. And they're like, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus did for us. Here's, here's the truth, guys. If Jesus has opened your eyes to who he is, you are compelled to tell others about it. These men didn't want Jesus, who they didn't recognize, to continue walking because the day was spent Night was coming. Roads get dangerous when it's nighttime. And he said, I don't want you continuing on. Random person who's telling us about the scriptures, come have dinner with us. But when Jesus revealed who he was, their fears went away. They braved the road back to Jerusalem because they had a story to tell. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you know Jesus Christ today, you have a story to tell. Easter is our story of victory. We share that story that Christ conquered death in the grave. He gave us life, and through him we can have eternal life that starts now. That is the story that we have today. Easter changes our message, and so we go and tell. Your responsibility, if you're a believer in this room today, if God has opened your eyes to the power of the resurrection, your responsibility is to go and tell. 
That is it. You, know, you have other jobs, you have other roles, you have other things you're supposed to do. But all along the way, you're going and telling, raising your children, going and telling them. Right? Your, your job as a parent is to disciple them so they can see Jesus when God reveals himself to them. That is the ministry of a parent. As a worker, you work wherever your job is, and your job may be to make widgets in a factory, but your role, your mission as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to go and tell. You know, my, my, my wife's grandfather is a man of great faith. He worked uh, laying like uh, gas and water lines throughout the city of San Antonio for the public works department in San Antonio. City Public Services, I believe, was the official name of that department there. And I love hearing his stories because he was a man of faith. And while he's laying pipes and he's supervising crews and he's walking through with men through the craziness that young men have in their lives, he's telling them about Jesus along the way. That is the role of the Christian. It doesn't matter where you are doesn't matter what God has called you to do for a vocation. Your job is to go and tell. I want to close today with a very lengthy quote. So lengthy that I had to print it out to give it to you. The quote is from a, an African-American pastor in, in, in California from years ago, S.M. Lockridge. And S.M. Lockridge was a pastor at a Baptist church in California. And he had a sermon called Amen. And he closed his sermon this way. He said, my king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews, that's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel, that's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. My King is the only one of whom there are no means to measure that can define His limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shore of His supplies. No barriers can hinder Him from pouring out His blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the grandest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of historic theology. And he's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you can choose to call Him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and He saves. He's the Almighty God who guides and keeps all of His people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharged 
debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And He beautifies the meek. That's my King. Do you know Him? Well, my King is a King of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislatures. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. I wish I could describe Him to you, but He's indescribable. That's my King. He's incomprehensible, he's invincible, and he's irresistible. I'm coming to tell you this, that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone some man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind, you can't get him off of your hands, you can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him, the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He has always been and he will always be. I'm talking about the fact that he has no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There's nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. Church, is that your king today? Do you see him for who he is or do you know about him? Do you know it? Do you really know him? Or is he just a historical figure from years gone by that we celebrate occasionally to make us feel better and inoculated from what true faith is? Your king is better. So if you're here today and you don't know that king, I want you to know we're going to have an invitation. And I would love nothing more than to introduce you to who he is. Talk to you about who he is. And to bring you into the family that God has already made for you to be a part of. God has a, has a way of revealing himself to us. I pray today that you will see him. For he is indeed risen. He is risen indeed, and death can't stop him. Let's pray.